Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. I'm going to read through 27 here. The word of the Lord. Let me, let's pray again. Father God, this is your word. We pray that as you have promised, it will not return void. It will go forth and it will produce what you want it to produce. It will harden some and soften others. The same word it is the hearts where the seed falls that has to be prepared for what it hears. There will be some who will hear it and immediately it, it just falls on rocky places. There will be some who hear it and um, things happen in their life and they choke it out and it pulls it away and it's done. There's some who receive it with earnestness and, and it doesn't take root and, and it just falls away. But there will be others who you've prepared to hear and it will produce, not just take root, but produce fruit. So that's what we pray, that the preaching and reading and the hearing of your word today would produce much good fruit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 27. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then we go to verse 34. <clears throat> you had compassion on those in prison, speaking to the people that were there in the church that he's writing to. You had compassion to those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then it goes on and talks about these different people. First, understanding creation out of nothing. Um, by faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. Um, and in verse 6 in chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then he talks about in verse 7, by faith, Noah. And in verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
And then we come to verse 13. These all died in faith. It's not just the ones that we read previously, but all those who he's going to continue to talk about. These all died in faith. It could also be um, translated, these all died according to faith. Um, Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their guide, for he has prepared for them a city. And then as we go on, we'll see um, the continued um, names of people that he, he calls, again, to continue with um, Abraham in verse 20, Isaac, and 21, Jacob, and then Joseph, um, and then verse 23, Moses. And he goes on, sees progressively going through the people of God as the faith is being handed down from generation to generation, as the people, people of God continue to work toward the blessing that's um, continued um, to be passed down. In verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover. Speaking of Moses, um, 29, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea. 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Um, 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Um, and then it goes on in verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, through, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word of the Lord. So the point that Hebrews making, one of the main um, messages from Hebrews is, um, especially here, is that we are to see these Old Testament heroes as, as noteworthy, and that what was noteworthy in them was that they kept their faith and they lived their faith to the end of their lives. 
So it's very important. It's just as important for small children to know the word of the Lord. It's important for small children. As soon as they are able to take and eat of the word of the Lord, it is equally important for people to their deathbeds to be faithful to the Lord, to the church, and um, to their families. And it is a, a, a splendid thing to see elderly people um, can't get up, can't get out that continue to pray for the church that that long to be able to get out and be among um, believers so enjoy it while you can if we should live long enough and then pray that when maybe we are trapped somewhere because we can't get out anymore that the church will come to us and minister to us so they were faithful to the end of their lives, and so should we, we be. They saw and believed in things promised as it was far off, and yet they received it with joy. The word welcomed there actually means to receive something with joy. So they received these promises with joy. They believed in the promises of God, they, it, and the promises for them was a land, a people, a nation, a kingdom, for a heavenly reward as well. They understood these things. And their issue, interestingly enough, was not rather to believe whether there was a God, but to believe in the promises of God or not. Will God really bring things about that he's promised? So much of our faith and the faith of our world hinges on, is there really even a God? And we're really one of the first generations of people to ponder the question of whether or not there is some higher existence. Um, we're the most materialistic um, world that there's been so belief in God which is easy enough to prove logically but spiritually we suppress the knowledge in our sin and but understanding as believers that God will keep his promises is something that we have to struggle with in our lives and it's an odd thing because we think God to be like us and he is not they believed in the coming Messiah they believed in the promised one who would crush Satan's head the serpent's head they they believed that they would see an end put to sin and sacrifice and that the world would be reconciled to to God and now we have seen the promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ and so the author of Hebrews is saying these Old Testament saints looked forward to something and sometimes and they didn't have a lot of light as time progressed they saw more and more of the revelation of what's going to happen in Jesus Christ but now on this side of the cross how much more do we see the fullness of what God has done and given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and given the complete word of God to be able to, to exalt him and to know about him and to see him and to understand better his promises. So the author of Hebrews is saying, cling to your faith and put aside the sin that easily entangles and ensnares us. And we'll also see the people of God here moving forward in their faith, passing on the promises and blessings from generation to generation. And it's, a, it's an amazing testimony of the reality and truthfulness of God that the church is still here that the promises of God have still are still around and people still believe these things so some of you guys are logical thinkers so we're going to do three points here's one point we must believe in and trust in God and his promises we must believe in and trust in God and his promises because this life is not all there is, and you can have peace, the peace of God. And it's by trusting in the perfect life and yet shameful death of God's Son. 
and believing that Jesus, God's Son, went to the cross for those who believe in him so that we would not perish but have eternal life. So the question really first is, do you believe him? Then you have to believe something else too if you do. You have to believe, it's very interesting. Um, one of the things I like about preaching in Haiti is if I were to say, do you believe in him? I would have to pause until people will stop praising him for a few moments and then I can get on with the message. We've been trained to be very quiet in our churches. I think it's probably somewhat, I don't want to say it's to our shame because we do it for good reasons. But, you know, if you don't, when you sing a hymn, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art my. Forever, are mine. Don't come singing to me at my birthday like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's, let's hear some emotion. Involve yourself in the sermon. Involve yourself in the message. Involve yourself in the worship of God. That's why we're here together. It's the big problem with having to worship separately and apart on a TV screen. You're separate and apart. Do your marriage like that. See how long it lasts. You can't. So I'm not telling you, say something when I say something. Don't generate it like that. But just be aware. Why are we, what have we done? You know, why are some people so much more emotional than other people? And I, I think it really has to do with you need to throw yourself into what it is we believe. What it is. When, if the world gets progressively dark, as I believe it will, and it becomes more and more difficult to live your Christian life out there, and you're still able maybe to come in here or somewhere where you gather together, there will be genuine praise. And if God is seeking genuine praise, what do you think he's going to do to create it? So do it while the light is shining brightly because the world needs the church, and the United States has the best ability from man's, from the blessings of God, we have the ability to do more in this world than any churches in the history of creation from a human perspective god can do much or little by his holy spirit but you have to believe and understand what the old testament saints understood that we must believe in and trust in god and his promises so do you believe him Do you? Does anybody here believe in God? Let's just say yeah. Let's say amen. And I know it's like, I don't want to do that. It's stupid. Do it in church. It's not. No, it's not. Okay. Do you believe in God? Amen. Do you believe in the promises of God? Amen. And what's our problem? I'm not sure I believe us. And we need to think about that confession because it could be used against us one day. And so, how do we? fix this problem and I think it's the second point you know we see in this passage we are strangers and exiles here on this earth um, foreigners and pilgrims aliens and pilgrims the word for foreigners or strangers there is xenoe it's where we get the word xenophobic or a xenophobe as in President Trump is xenophobic Okay, that's how I've heard it. I'm not saying he is. I don't think he is. But that's what they mean by that is he hates foreigners. Actually, it means he's afraid of foreigners. But that's the word we use these days. We don't talk about hate. We talk about fear, whatever. But that's this word. 
outsiders, aliens, people who are different. That's us, believers in this world. We're the ones. We're the foreigners. We're the aliens. We're the ones who are different. And exiles, which, yeah, okay, this got a little, the, the word pilgrims is really a good word here. It's, um, it's a resident alien. That's what that word means in the in Greek. It's a resident alien. So you're here legally, okay, but you're not of this world. So if you have people here who are resident aliens, um, they're not actually citizens, but they're here legally and they live here. Okay, so that's us. We are not really of this world, but we, we reside here. But we are resident aliens, and we need to be aware that we are resident aliens. Um, and this is what the people of the Old Testament understood. This world, you are passing through. This is just a place you're, we've all been on trips. All I can think about during this is, is, is travel. And so how do we travel today? Mostly it's in cars. And there are many places I have been through. I may have stopped to go to the bathroom there. I don't know. But I've just been through. I maybe stop at a McDonald's or something um, or a Burger King or wherever place you choose to go. But, you know, you just you go through these places. And I wasn't even residing there. And that's, there are other places we've been to and we visited. We stay a long time. There's places that we've lived. I moved around a lot. This is the longest I've ever lived in one place. Um, so we moved a lot growing up. So it's like in my world, I grew up being a resident alien. And it was never completely of where I lived. And that's fine. It's really, there are some things that are better about that. Nobody would ever, if anywhere I've ever lived where people are from there and they've never lived anywhere else, it is hard to get them to go anywhere else. I don't know if anybody else has that experience. Amen? Yes. <laughs> Live in Orangeburg. Let's go to Columbia. Why you won't go to Columbia? <laughs> I don't know. There's something to do there. Let's go do something. And um, that's the way we can be stuck. You've been here your whole life. Why do you want to go anywhere else? You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're you're not. This is not your home. This is just where we are for a time. And the Old Testament saints, knowing that, is how they did the things they did, or else they had opportunity to go back. And sometimes we see our previous lives in sin like that. I lived this way. Now I'm a believer. I'm not supposed to live that way, but I do like this. So I go back and hang out and, and you do these things. But if you understand the truth of and reality of heaven and God and these things, then. It changes the way we, it should, it would, it will change the way you act and live. And so if you want to see what you believe, one of the best ways is look at your actions. Because that dictates what you believe. Or it shows what you believe, because your beliefs dictate your actions. So, foreigners and pilgrims. We are. And point two, Thanksgiving's coming up. And who celebrated the first Thanksgiving in this country? Pilgrims and natives, Indians, Native Americans. We don't even know what to call them anymore. That's fine. We're trying to do our best to be sensitive, and that's good, to be loving. But, yeah, but we know about pilgrims. We learn about pilgrims. I remember, I don't know if they do anymore, but they used to, we make the pilgrim hat with a big buckle on it and stuff like that. As a matter of fact, I have a, our crock pot looks just like a pilgrim's hat if you flip it upside down. But you don't think it does? I've, no. <laughs> I did it with chili in it last night. No, no, I've not done it, but I would know that if one did flip it upside down, it would look just like your, I use my imagination. I will bring it next week. So, um, well, why were the pilgrims here? 
and you don't have to yell this out because you know, it's a rhetorical question that I'm going to answer for you. Why were they here? They were fleeing religious persecution. So much power had been given to the government that it controlled all aspects of life, including religion. Be very careful. The reason politics is so powerful now is because we've given it so much power. If a president didn't have so much power, we wouldn't be too worried about who the president was. If the Senate and the Congress and all these, and the, the, the Supreme Court didn't have so much power, we wouldn't worry about so much about who is there. It's that we've given them so much power and the church has invested so much power in the ability of government and politics to be able to produce the things that the church is supposed to be producing. And so we see that and we get um, very involved in an idol of government. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved at all, but we need to be aware of the issues that government is involved in that crosses over religious and moral categories and be able to speak at least not to speak lies when don't join in the lies that we see being spoken and when you have opportunity be willing to speak up against them but make sure you do it in love and you're not just looking to fight and I wouldn't necessarily do it on social media because there's nothing but a bunch of trolls there so make sure you're not one of them and that we're able to have actual conversations with people that these pilgrims were here because they were trying to come and build a country where they could live as they wanted to. They were travelers. And they wanted to be able to worship without fear of being persecuted, without fear of being killed. And so we live here and we're called Americans, but that is not our true identity. Our, it's not our true homeland and not just the USA is not our true homeland, but this world is not our true homeland. We are not truly of this world anymore as believers. We will be leaving relatively soon. And then we will be home forever. So if you'll look real quickly, Philippians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. So I'm going to read, so Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 17. Paul is writing this, and he says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself our citizenship's in heaven that's where we live. That's who we're to be. So Ephesians says it better than me. So it's right before Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He talks about, well, let's go back to 17. 
And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's interesting. There's a contradiction in the Bible. You're strangers and aliens. No, you're not. <laughs> but in what sense? Because you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's not saying you're, you're members of this world. He's saying you're, you have another. You're not strangers. Yes, you're strangers and aliens, but you're not alone. You, you have a citizenship. You have a home. You are not an orphan who is out there and has no help and doesn't know anything. You, you have in the church, in the household of God, you have membership. And you are not strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together. This is talking about believers, the church, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is why you become a part of the church, where we're being built together. All right, one last place. Colossians. This is all, you know, after Philippians, Colossians. This is all General Electric Power Company. You can, guys eat popcorn. You can do these things. Genesis, Exodus, Philippians. I mean, Genesis, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you want to memorize those little letters. So Colossians chapter 3, just 1 through 4 right here. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the promise. How much different would our lives be if we truly, 100%, beyond any shadow of a doubt, knew that heaven was there. No. I mean, this, you, you've seen it. You've been there. You know what? I have no doubt whatsoever of the reality of these things. How much differently would we live our lives? How much more could we endure? How much more would we give? How much more would we risk for the Lord, for the lost if we truly believe that the sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us, the glory that shall be revealed to us. A true pilgrim, a traveler on a mission, is not distracted by worldly treasures and he's not discouraged by difficulties along the way. And we've all experienced this from time to time. In, in our own time, um, like I said, most trips are made in cars. And we can travel great distances. We can go further, we can go faster than any other people in the history of the world. And don't even, you know, planes, I mean, my goodness. Um, but we've all been in cars and we've all been in long, on long car trips. And yet, um, as children, traveling, you know, think about it. You're a kid, you get in a car and you go, depending on who your parents are, 55 to 80 miles an hour, say, on the open road, whew, excuse me, flying. And you go back, let's go back a thousand years and do that to somebody. 
you know, witches, die. You know, I mean, it's just like, and what do we do? We're bored, bored out of our minds. And what do we hear from our children? Because they are sitting in the back, probably. You know, we're at least occupying ourselves with driving and trying to not be driven to kill our children in the back seat. How much further are we there yet? Just a little longer, just a little longer. We're going to get there. Please, God, let this end. You know, it can be like that. I mean, I've had lots of times I've loved traveling with our children. But there's lots of times I've been the one in the back seat. I've been the one in the car. I'm just like, when are we getting there? When are we getting there? And so what do we as parents and grandparents do? And I, I have three things. I start with a fourth. The fourth is pull the car over and threaten, but we'll skip that one for right now. Um, what we attempt to do before we get down to that point is to comfort, distract, and entertain. So we attempt to comfort, distract, and entertain. And there's a book by, written by a man named Neil Postman. It's a very good book. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And I think it was written in the 80s, but it, he was, had a lot of foresight into things. And it's very applicable even today. Um, but you think about it. We're, we're amusing ourselves to death because we don't want to... to um, not have comfort. We don't want to not have be entertained. We need to be distracted. We need to have something else, always something more in our lives. And truly, it's just all this comfort, distraction, entertainment. It's all really just distraction. You're trying to, to make, your, make the trip go quicker, that you can distract them from the time that it takes. And it's distraction in the form of comfort and entertainment. So look at mass media today. Do you think it's trying to inform or do you think it's trying to entertain? Because what's the goal of a news organization? To get you to keep watching, to get you to build an audience. So do you think it's really there to inform or is it there to distract or comfort or discomfort or to entertain? Politicians, don't blame them for having to comfort, entertain, and distract you. Don't blame them. If we weren't so easily desiring comfort and entertainment and distraction, they wouldn't be able to be elected. And then look at preachers and churches. Don't blame them for seeking to comfort and distract and entertain, because that's what people want. What's the goal of a church? Get more people. What's the goal of a politician? Get more people. What's the goal of a news outlet? get more people. What's the goal of the church? Get more people. We all want to get a following. We all want more people. What's the motivation? Profit, power. What's the goal for the church to get more people? I think it's to make us feel good about things and ourselves. The more people come to our church, the more we feel like we're doing pretty good. It's immeasurable. So what do you do to get more people? Comfort, entertain, distract. We can't do that. You have to face things. You have to face reality, as we say in the South, reality. You have to face it, the realities of life. The world has a plan for how to get through this life. And truly, it is really all just distraction. So we have to be careful that we don't follow the world's way of, of doing these things because who is the ruler of this world? 
the prince of the power of the air, Satan. God is Lord over all, king of kings, head of the church. But as far as the world goes, it's been judged, but the ruler of this present darkness is Satan. And he would distract us to death. He would distract us from death. Because death is sure. Wisdom literature in the Bible, Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. But the world doesn't want us to talk about that, unless it's the reason you're in fear is because this other person or people are going to cause you to die. Get rid of them. What do we get rid of? Death. We can get rid of death. Vote for me and I'll set you free. I love that song. You know that song? Ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. People moving up, people moving down. Why? Because of the color, color, color of the skin. Run, 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 but you just can't hide. <laughs> it's, look it up. That's a good song. We are not to be conformed to this world. We are to seek our treasure in heaven, but this world has a heavy, heavy pull. And we are living in a day that Ron Dreher in his book calls soft totalitarianism. Watch the more you begin to disagree and stand against culture, the way in which you have to be careful what you say and how you say it. Not because it's not true, but because of who might hear and how they might shut you down. That's the world we live in. That's the country that we live in. So we need to be sure that we are speaking the truth in love because you don't want to die on a hill that's stupid or wrong. You want to be able to speak truth and you want to be on those hills. We're not to be conformed to this world. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10, and he talks about Demas. And he says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. So being in love with this present world causes a lot of people to desert Christ. Being in love with this present world. We've created so many things in this world to ease our suffering and to distract us from the reality. We have fallen in love with many of those things. And... If this is the case, we need to destroy those things because we are pilgrims in this world. It's like we've been traveling in our cars to go somewhere, and then when we get to that place, we don't even want to go in because we're in love with our cars so much. I mean, we're not far from that. You know, you, you're so much in love with your vehicle that, you know, you don't even need to go anywhere. You know, or if you do go somewhere, you're still in it. You know, it's like, I love my car. I can't. I mean, look what we're doing to our cars. <laughs> I mean, they're just like mansions of glory. You know, it's like. You know, some of you might be thinking, well, my car is no mansion of glory. Well, comparatively, you know, it kind of is. It would be absurd to drive to Disneyland or to the beach or to see family or go to a football game and then sit in a car in the parking lot because we love our cars so much. But that's what the world's doing to us is just saying, don't, no need to get out, no need to go, no need to look, no reason to read. No, just we'll take care of you, we'll take care of you. Comfort means more than anything. China is under totalitarianism, but they don't care. A lot of the younger generation, they're, they're, they're fine with it because they can't, they're controlled. And they don't know it. The church is powerful in China because people see truth. So it won't surprise me that as this country goes darker and darker, the church in China 
grows more and more. They thought capitalism was going to save China and make it a democracy, but it didn't. It just made people who are in power more powerful through technology, and that's what's happening in our country. So be aware of the distractions and the comforts and the entertainment and see what's really going on around us because the world needs the church to be the church again. It needs to preach the gospel of repentance from dead works and faith in Jesus Christ. And then watch what happens when you try to take that toy or device away from that child. What do you get? I don't even have to say it. Because you know. And that's what the world's going to do. Don't be surprised when we get the same reaction from the world. Don't be surprised if we continue to distract and entertain our children with other things too, that they aren't falling in love with those things instead of things that are re real. And I'm not critiquing parents here. I'm very impressed and proud of the parents we have. But it is harder and harder. As my grandparents said, your, your, your world is a lot different than mine, and you're up against a lot more than I am. And all I can say is they had no idea. They had no idea how quickly things would turn as they have. And here's my last point. It's going to be very brief, and it will lead us into communion. It's um, Hebrews 11, 16. They desire a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their guide. That's pretty remarkable. God's not ashamed to be called our guide. He has every reason to be ashamed to call us his people. But he doesn't because of Christ. And he has a city that's for us. Point three, God is not ashamed to be called our God. And by faith, we're united to him. And because of faith in Jesus Christ, he's not ashamed to be called our guide. And we are not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. But we have to live by faith. So when we take communion, what God is telling us is, I am not ashamed of you. When um, David uh, became king, he, he asked around and he said, hey, is there anybody else in the household of Saul that I can show chesed to, that I can show covenanted faithfulness to, that I can show love to. And you know, if you're, you're the previous um, administration and the new king is looking for any members I might have missed, you don't quickly raise your hand and say, oh yeah, I'm one of them. You know, it's like, but you know, they find Mephibosheth, lame in his feet, and David says, you will eat at my table as long as I'm here, as long as I'm king. You will always dine at my table because I am showing covenanted love to Saul and really to Jonathan. And this was Jonathan's son who David loved. God the Father loves Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for us so that all who the Father gives him would come to him. If you come to Jesus, it's because you have been drawn by the Father through the Holy Spirit. He calls each of us to come to him, to dine at his table to be a part of him. He is in us and we are in him. He is not ashamed to call us his guide. And we need him. So when we take communion, what God is saying is, you're mine, I'm not ashamed of you. We're gonna eat and we're gonna eat this one day in heaven at the marriage supper of the lamb and it's gonna be grand and it's gonna be glorious. But right now I know how hard it is because Jesus Christ bore more than we ever will in his life and on the cross. 
that if you're not in Christ, if you're not a believer in him, you will bear the full penalty and full force of the holiness of the law, and you will completely deserve it. You'll be naked, you'll be ashamed, everything you've ever done wrong in the light of holiness will burn a hole through you, and you will be caused to endure that forever. But there is one that you can flee to in Jesus Christ who bore that for us, so we are hidden in him, and all the righteousness credit he earned, he gives to us, and that's the reason we worship and we celebrate because we recognize the fact we're not good enough. This world is difficult. This is a world that seeks to destroy us and it's just hard. And so what Jesus says is, I'm there. I'm with you. I know. Just a little further. Just a little further. I will not distract you. I will not entertain you. I will not lie to you. I am here and I will get you through, and you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And when your anxiety goes through the roof, and you don't know which way to turn, and you don't know how to pray, he promises the spirit within you is praying with groanings too deep for words, and Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God the Father is praying prayers of intercession for us. He will hold us. Nobody can separate us from the love of Christ in God, in Jesus. No one can separate us from the love of the Father in Jesus Christ. He holds us in his hands. He protects us, he saves us, he keeps us. We just have to have faith. And when we come to his table, he says, I'm here. I'm doing this to give you a little more grace, to show you just a little bit more physically and tangibly. You get the gospel, you have the Holy Spirit. Now let's see this, taste this, feel this, so that we can know that he promises to be our guide. So let's pray. Father God, you sent your son. In Jesus, you came, you died, you sent your Holy Spirit. We have your Holy Spirit. It binds us together, and, and yet we walk in the flesh too much. We, we look at each other, we get irritated. There's lots. We, we're surrounded by sinful people. There's a lot of stuff to nitpick and be angry about and not like and cause us all to push each other away, and that's what Satan constantly works on. It's what our flesh constantly works on. It's what the world wants, division, chaos. But, Lord, you came that we might have peace that we'd walk in the Spirit, that we'd be united together by Christ, that when we take the Lord's Supper, we come together around your table. Um, it's your body. We are your body. And we have to understand that, that we love one another, and we love the world enough to share the gospel with it and to be able to speak truth and at least not lie. So help us to love you more. Give us so much more faith, Lord. We, we believe. Help our unbelief. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.